one case for argument this morning, uh, Minnesota Sands versus the County of Winona. Uh, let's see, Mr. Dolan, you've reserved 10 minutes for rebuttal. You may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, may it please the court and counsel. My name is Chris Dolan, and I represent the appellant, Minnesota Sands. There are two issues before the court today. First, does the county's 2016 amendment of its zoning ordinance violate the Dormant Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution? And second, does the amendment create a regulatory taking of Minnesota Sands' property interest without just compensation? I'd like to start on the Commerce Clause claim. In this case, Minnesota Sands is challenging the constitutionality of the county's amendment, which prohibits other parts of the country from utilizing Winona County's silica sand. In effect, what the county is doing is engaging in impermissible economic balkanization of the area. Now, I think it's important to start out by describing what this case is not about. This case is not about the county's authority to regulate silica sand mining in the area and to implement regulations that protect human health and safety of its residents. Counsel, and also can I just ask a point of clarification? You said that, um, that they're not allowing uh, places out all around the country, but that also includes the state of Minnesota and the county of Winona, correct? To uh, not use that sand? Uh, correct, Your Honor. Uh, the, the construction, or sorry, the industrial minerals as defined on the ordinance uh, would be banned uh, in any location. However, our argument, Your Honor, is that uh, in effect, because those uh, uh, sands are not used for any industrial operations in Minnesota, in Winona County, that in effect what it creates is a ban on the interstate uh, use of silica sand. Well, counsel, isn't there evidence in the record that this uh, silica sand is used for industrial purposes such as countertops and abrasion and things like that in Minnesota? Uh, I think it, it potentially could, uh, and the ban itself uh, you know, d uh, uh, includes that those, those uses that are in Minnesota. Um, but uh, So it's not purely an export ban? I think that's right, Your Honor. It's not purely an interstate export ban. Uh, it, it's not. Uh, there are some exceptions. There are some, some uses of industrial minerals that, at least in theory, could be used uh, in Minnesota. That's right, Your Honor. But our argument is that, in effect, that there's not a market demand for those products from Winona County uh, and that uh, the vast majority of the interest, the market demand for uh, what the county defines as industrial minerals are well outside of Winona County and outside the state What's of Minnesota. What's the evidence in the record about how much is in-state and out-state? There is evidence in the record that it is used and can be used in-state, though, in Minnesota. Uh, I think that's a good question. I think the, the record didn't focus on uses of industrial minerals inside the state of Minnesota. Most of the evidence, and I think, frankly, because the reality is that that's what the demand is, is for the uh, use of what the county defines as industrial minerals because outside the state. pay more money to use it for fracking as opposed to for glass making and that kind of stuff? Well, the, the marketplace, assuming that there's no artificial ban on, on what could be exported outside the area, uh, the marketplace uh, puts a premium on the silica sand because of the quality uh, and its use uh, as a propent in hydraulic fracturing. Um, but, but Minnesota Sands. Council, just a sure. question about um, the record. As I understand it, the silica sand has to be processed somewhere before it can be used as a prop uh, propent in, in, uh, in the oil production. Is that correct? Well, it may need to be processed. Now, Minnesota Sands takes the position, uh, and this is in the record, and it may be a material uh, issue of disputed fact, that this is really, really high quality. Uh, silica sand, and the our studies have shown, or our client studies have shown, that the amount of processing may be very minimal, 
uh, and may not need to happen in Monona County at all. There's various market plans that uh, would have no processing happening in Minnesota Sands or in, in Monona County at all. And can maybe on rebuttal, can you just get some citations to that part of the record? Absolutely. Thank you. The client studies that you talked about, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but just to be clear uh, to the court, uh, Minnesota Sands respects the county's ability to regulate for the health and safety, uh, but wants to make sure that when it regulates for the health and safety, doesn't do so in a way that discriminates against uh, interstate uh, commerce. And, and when you're talking about discriminating against interstate commerce, I mean, this is not a case where um, you can have uh, Minnesota companies like Minnesota Sand uh, doing this mining, and you could have out-of-state companies doing the mining, and Winona um, County has prohibited both. So in that sense, the producers, it's an even-handed ban on who's going to be mining industrial minerals, right? Well, Your Honor, in terms of the, the physical location or corporate location of the entity that wants to do the mining, you're right. It, it, it doesn't uh, distinguish between the two. So you're talking about discrimination among consumers of silica sand, industrial silica sand. Uh, consumers or use of the product uh, in the marketplace. Um, the, the Commerce Clause, yeah, as sort of a general principle, uh, wants to create a national marketplace that doesn't create a local fiefdom, for example, in one geographic area that can hoard uh, a particular natural resource. And what this amendment does is that it, in, in essence, in effect, in how it's applied, given the reality of the situation that uh, what the county terms uh, construction minerals are all ones that are used locally for animal bedding, for road construction, those are all uses that are of, of importance to the county and the local area. Just in terms of that market, I mean, how realistic is it for those uses that you're not going to use local sand? I mean, it's expensive to transport that, right? So isn't that market local kind of by its nature? I think that's right, Ron. That market is local. We would, we would take the position that although the ordinance includes the explicit term local, which I think very much facially shows how this ordinance discriminates, you could take out the word local, and in effect, it still would create a commerce clause problem. Because, well, tell me about that. Yeah. Sure. So if you look at the definition of uh, construction minerals, uh, which is the large ex exemption or exception inside the definition of industrial minerals, uh, it includes uh, sand that is produced and used for local construction purposes, and then it, it has some examples. Uh, road pavement, unpaved road or gravel, concrete, asphalt, building, construction zone, even, even bedding for, for livestock. Those are all uses that occur locally. Um, and what it excludes, the, the larger definition of industrial minerals, uh, are all things that, for the most part, happen, or actually, it, 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 the factual record shows, happens well outside of Monona County. Um, including, it's quite interesting, including a number of uh, uh, minerals such as stone and quartz and, and graphite and diamonds and gemstones that you know you just don't find in uh, uh, you know in Monona County or in <laughs> Southeast Minnesota. We wish. We wish. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, Your Honor. Um, so our our claim of a commerce clause violation is really looking at the ordinance uh, in effect. Uh, so if we were to sever the word local, that would not affect your argument. I don't think it would, Your Honor. I think, in effect, it would be the same, the same result. I think the word local just makes clear what, what the intent of the ordinance was, um, but the effect would be the same. Um, you know, and there are a number of cases before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, where 
they examined a law or a statute uh, under the Commerce Clause where the statute didn't expressly distinguish uh, between interstate and intrastate commerce. I would point this court to the Hunt v. Washington State Apple case. This was a North Carolina law that uh, seemed facially neutral. The law basically said that uh, if apples are to be sold in uh, North Carolina, uh, they have to have uh, uh, grade or standard approval uh, displayed on the, on the cartons uh, by the federal government, uh, not by a state. And that, that on its face seems very neutral. The reality of the situation was uh, seven of the 13 states that imported apples to North Carolina had state branding and uh, grades, and not, not federal. And the court found that to be a violation of the Commerce Clause. And this goes to the earlier point. Um, um, counsel, on that case, though, it was interesting to me they did it under effects. But they found purposeful discrimination there, which is very different, I think, mm -hmm. than the case that we have here. I mean, you've not really made a showing of discriminatory intent here, have you? you know, I mean, you're, you're recognizing that these are very legitimate purposes that, that Winona is citing, the water quality, safety of its residents because of the silica dust, that kind of thing. Uh, those purposes are, are um, legitimate purposes uh, in order to regulate uh, silica sand mining. Our argument, though, is that they chose a, a structure that violates the, the Commerce Clause. Um, it's interesting, a number of other counties in southeast Minnesota have, have addressed the same issue. Um, the, the demand for silica sand uh, from Minnesota, the economic opportunity, is not a new issue. And it's interesting to see what other counties in the area uh, have done. Uh, Houston County, for example, um, they uh, established a regulation that I don't believe violates the Commerce Clause is setting a limit that's applicable to all silica sand mines on the number of mines and the size of those mines. Council, is your contention that in one way or another, Winona County needs to provide for the mining of industrial sand? Uh, Your Honor, I, I think uh, if they for didn't- the Commerce Clause. Oh, for, for the Commerce Clause, uh, just for Commerce Clause analysis, I, I don't think so. I mean, they could establish a complete ban and that may raise additional constitutional is issues. But if it's, it was a ban on, on that didn't uh, benefit you know, uh, local uses versus interstate uses. I, I don't think that would necessarily violate the Commerce Clause. Then. My dog is digging in the backyard and finds an unusual rock. We find out it's uranium ore, and there's a vein of, rich vein of uranium ore under my house in Minneapolis. The city of Minneapolis says, we're just not gonna get in the business of permitting uh, uranium mining in the city of Minneapolis. Is it, now, there are no, the market for uranium is completely out of state. There are no uranium processors in Minnesota. Does it violate the Commerce Clause for the city of Minneapolis to say, we're just not getting in the business of uranium mining? I don't, I don't believe so, Your Honor, because there, there wouldn't be a preference, or just under Commerce Clause analysis, there wouldn't be a preference for an interstate market versus uh, a, a uh, sorry, an intrastate market versus an interstate market. It would create a concern about uh, limiting the national marketplace for, for uranium. So I'm sorry, is the answer to my question yes or no? Uh, it would be, the question is... Well, would it violate the Commerce Clause? No. Why not? Because in that, in that case, the regulation is neutral, I think in, in neutral in effect, in how it applies uh, to the It affects only out-of-state uranium buyers. Um, we don't have any in-state uranium buyers here in Minnesota. I think the difference... I think the difference in that hypothetical versus the case here is that we do have an, an intrastate market for the same sand. 
Um, and it's that market that's being benefited and, and held up, uh, and frankly, given a beneficial market conditions, because it's the only potential use of sand from Winona County uh, under the, the amendment as it's framed out here. So how does that fact, uh, uh, how does that fact impact the Commerce Clause, the fact that it actually lowers the cost of sand for local residents? Well, it's an interesting question, Your Honor. Uh, the, the county has raised as a justification uh, for the amendment um, that somehow under uh, Arctic Made and General Motors that there's somehow a, a different marketplace uh, for I uh, asked them about that, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but, but I think what, what, what the amendment or what the amendment does is it, it creates an artificial marketplace, right? It creates this separate market uh, for local sand that's priced much lower because it's the only potential use of sand locally. Um, if there wasn't, if the amendment wasn't in place and all the market players who mine silica sand could participate in the local market or the interstate market, the price would be much higher. You know, it's interesting, there is one, uh, as I understand it, one silica sand mine that is licensed Winona County, the Nisbet mine. And what's interesting about that mine is it, it underwent the uh, conditional use permit process uh, as a mine to sell their product uh, interstate commerce as a profit. Um, it, it decided for business reasons to instead sell locally, um, but it didn't have to change its permitting, it didn't have to change its mining process, um, nothing really changed but its decision on, on who to sell the, the product to. Um, and I think what the county has done here for this amendment is create, you know, it's sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, to the extent there are separate markets, and I don't think that's necessarily the case, um, it's because the county has established it as such under this amendment. Uh, can you explain to me, though, in your reply brief at page 25, you say Winona County disregards that Minnesota Sands only has leases to mine frac sand and not sand that would be used for local purposes. So it seems like you're making a distinction between the two types of sand. Well, Your Honor, that's interesting. The, the leases, and again, these leases were drafted uh, well before the ban was put into place, well before it came a, a, a legal question. Um, the way the leases are drafted, um, they allow Minnesota Sands uh, to mine for silica sand. And I forgot the exact language, but you know, in, in beneficial commercial use. Uh, and our interpretation of those leases with this amendment, um, you know, which the language don't, language doesn't quite fit, but our interpretation is that is that it may prevent Minnesota Sands from actually engaging in uh, mining for uh, construction sand. Um, under the takings analysis, uh, that you know is a potentially relevant question when you look at what uh, economic value uh, remains within. Um, the leases, you know, with the amendment in place, that could be a relevant question. So I think that's an open question of, of fact about what what uses of the mineral rights exist post amendment. Um, but I think you know, for purposes of uh, you know, is this the same sand? Are they completely different products? Uh, I don't think that's material to that question. Council, the lease reserves your client the right to build a processing plan and do the processing on site. You seemed to suggest a few minutes ago that your client might not do that. Um, what is your client's intention in that regard? And if it did processing on site, would it use these two toxic chemicals, acrylamide uh, and diethyl dimethyl aluminum chloride, yep. which are toxic chemicals? So at the time that uh, Minnesota Sands was putting together its business model, 
uh, to develop these mines. Uh, it had developed a proposal and had obtained purchase options for a separate site. So it was, the, the processing facility wouldn't be on one of these six leased properties. It's a separate parcel in general proximity within Winona County, and that's where the processing uh, would have taken place. The, there was a business plan to uh, buy, actually transport via train uh, to the potential processing facility. Um, is that in the record, that business plan? That, that is in the record, I believe so. I'd have to find that. Um, but that, you know, that, that is really sort of a minor part of the, the business plan. And to be fair, Your Honor, if, if this amendment or this, yeah, this amendment was overturned and Minnesota Sands you know, re-engage in its, its business plan, it, you know, it may or may not have that uh, as an option. To the extent the question is, would they use those chemicals uh, in the processing? That's really uh, unknown, and I don't think our client really has a position on that. The research done to date on the quality of the sand as a propent suggests that very, very minimal uh, processing would be necessary. And I think the processing question is sort of a separate question, because I think Minnesota Sands, I mean, ideally, they love to have the most options available to develop their business. But if they couldn't process in Winona County, if Winona County went through a regulatory uh, scheme that you know, limited the types of chemicals that could be used for health or safety reasons, you know, I think that's something they could probably live with at the end of the day because they have additional options available. Council, I'd like to talk about the conditional use permit issue and the taking question. Can you point me, um, what case is best for your argument that um, we can ignore or should ignore the argument that the county makes that somehow the failure to secure a conditional use permit is uh, fatal to your uh, takings claim. Yeah, and I would suggest, Your Honor, that I don't want this court to ignore the conditional use permit requirements. I think it's relevant, but I don't think it's a condition precedent, as the county suggests. And I would point this court to uh, Wensman Realty uh, versus City of Egan, uh, 734 Northwest 2nd, 623. Um, and, and this was a case involving a developer that wanted, there's a golf course, and they wanted to turn it, turn it into private development, private housing. Um, and at the time that this deal was being contemplated, that use of the property, it wasn't allowed by zoning. It was zoned as a, as a, as a golf course, or as, a, as parkland. Um, and in that case, the, the city of Egan had argued that, uh, you know, the inability of the project developer to uh, engage in, or to, to get the city to amend its comprehensive plan, you know, was a bar to a takings claim. And what this court said very explicitly was that um, uh, the pre-existing right to engage in a regulated activity uh, is not a prerequisite of a takings claim. In other words, um, it's not a requirement to do a takings analysis that you had to have some sort of pre-existing right. In that case, and I think it's even a more extreme case than here, um, what the developer wanted the city to do was to uh, complete change in its zoning ordinance, to make a complete change to do um, the plan that it wanted. Here, there was an existing conditional use permit process that had very, very specific requirements of what Minnesota Sands had to do in order to get that conditional use permit. And as part of Minnesota Sands' business model, um, it had looked at what those requirements were, if it could meet that, uh, and what the, the cost of doing that would be. Um, I think it's interesting that um, the, uh, in the trial court, Minnesota Sands had an expert, uh, John Maines, who uh, did an evaluation of the value of these leases 
the, the day before the amendment went into effect. So at that point, um, there was still conditional use permit requirement. Um, environmental review still had to be completed. Um, but it had those opportunities, those options available to it. Um, and what, the, what, what John Maines concluded, and it's the only evidence on this in the record, is that even with those requirements unfulfilled, and with the risk that somehow there would be additional limitations put on that uh, the, the county may require certain setbacks that would reduce the value of the mine, um, the, the, our expert still opined that the value of those leases were between 62 and $131 million. And what does that mean? That means that in the marketplace, even without a CUP, even without environmental review completed, that Minnesota Sands, given the market conditions and everything else, could have sold those leases uh, at those costs, at, at that value. So that they, these leases, the, the property right that Minnesota had in these leases wasn't valueless. Council, um, on this point, can, can I ask you about um, paragraph 11 of the lease, um, which says <coughs> tenants, obligation under this agreement are conditioned upon tenant obtaining any zoning or other governmental approvals. I'm just wondering mm -hmm. how that provision in the lease is relevant at all to the argument that you're making. Uh, you know, I don't think it is relevant because that deals with, with the uh, obligations. So um, in terms of uh, lease payments, uh, uh, royalties, uh, that's what that had to deal with. But, but if you didn't have to pay anything, to the landlord unless you got a conditional use permit, for example. Mm -hmm. Isn't that relevant to whether you've lost anything? Well, well there, are, there are certain uh, costs that still include absent permitting. So uh, I think Minnesota Sands was liable for paying the taxes. Um, I think it'd be relevant in terms that, that that is probably one pocket of, of cost, potential royalties that it did not have to pay. So it'd be relevant. But, but in the same time frame, you, even not having those royalties as a, as a cost, um, Minnesota Sands invested millions of dollars in order to develop But uh, is these your mines. point essentially, look, we had an expert below who said the value of our property interest is, at the, at the low end, $62 million. Mm -hmm. And now, after the county did what it did, the value of our interest is zero. So they've taken $62 million from us. I mean, is that sort of how it would go? Yeah, I think so, Your Honor. And I think just this point of the conditional use permit, um, one way to think about it is that prior to the amendment, Minnesota Sands did have a right to seek a permit to mine, and the amendment took that right away, and the direct result of that is the valuation went from, you know, 62 million uh, down to zero. So what cases support that, that position, that the right to seek a permit is a compensable property interest? Um, Your Honor, I, I can't recall the case name. There, there is a case, and it's not in a, it's not in a takings analysis, but it talks about how uh, in, uh, in Minnesota, when a conditional use permit, for example, sets out specific requirements that need to be met in order to get that conditional use permit. North Point. North yes. Point, thank okay. you. Uh, as a matter of right, they, they have the ability. So you're kind of extrapolating from that case. Okay. Correct. But, but I would point that, the, so what's the relevancy of the conditional use permit in a takings analysis? Um, and what's to prevent um, someone from having just this unreasonable expectation that they can do some project? that they might not be able to do. I think there are two limitations and two ways in which a conditional use permit is relevant. Uh, first, under a Penn Central analysis, if a court were to get there, and the trial court and the Court of Appeals here didn't even get to that question, but if they were to do that analysis, they would have to look at uh, the amendment's interference with the distinct investment-backed uh, expectations of Minnesota Sands. 
And I think it, the court would have to ask itself and, and evaluate the question, was it reasonable for Minnesota Sands to expect to get a conditional use permit? And, and we haven't had that factual uh, investigation. But if we were to do so, I think uh, given the, the conditions of the conditional use permit as they existed in 2011, given the fact that the Nisbet mine had been permitted uh, just uh, a couple years later, that Minnesota Sands would have uh, been able to obtain that permit. So, Council, taking you back to the uranium in my backyard, um, <laughs> do I have a property right in the right to seek from the city of Minneapolis a conditional use permit to mine uranium from my backyard? Um, and and would, by the city's decision not to allow mining, uranium mining, do they take that property right away from me? Uh, you know, I think you could potentially do a takings analysis, and that, that hypothetical might be closer to the Wensman case, um, where, you know, for example, if, if, if you, let's say your house isn't zoned in a uranium mining zoning yeah, my area. My house is zoned residential, and <laughs> uranium mining never crossed anyone's yeah. mind. Under a takings analysis, let's say that you went to your city and, and asked them to change the zoning so you could mine for uranium, and they said, thank you, but no, Your Honor. Um, I think in that case, you would do the same analysis they did in Wensman, right, where they would apply Penn Central, they would look at what your reasonable investment base expectations were when you obtained your property. And I think there would be very hard for you to prove that when you purchased your house, you purchased it with the expectation that you would be able to mine uranium. Thank you, Council. Your red light's on. Uh, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Squires. Chief Justice Gildee and members of the court, opposing counsel, and esteemed law students in the audience. Um, I'm pleased standing here that we're not arguing about the merits of the ordinance amendments. I'm pleased that uh, Minnesota Sands saw fit to acknowledge by not appealing the significant district court determinations about the validity and importance of the ordinance amendments and how they are tied to the health, safety, and welfare, welfare interests um, uh, explored by the county and ultimately adopting the ordinance amendments. I'd like to, to focus first on the takings clause, go a little bit opposite of what uh, opposing counsel did. And uh, Justice Lillehaug, you stole my analogy uh, on the takings. I live in St. Paul, and my example was going to be a nuclear power plant on my lot in Mac Groveland. Um, but uh, the same, I think, circumstance exists. I think the key issue in this case, as we talk Council, about... What if, what if it was gold? Uh, it mean, let's just yeah. take it out of sort of the rhetoric of, oh my sure. goodness, this is harmful to the environment. Let's just say it's gold. You find gold under your land, and then the city of St. Paul says, nope. I mean, come the, on now. Really, sure. you're going to say that's not a taking? The analysis does not change for purposes of a taking clause. And the issue in the takings um, arena is a threshold question in this particular case. And, and that is, is there a pre-existing right? Takings jurisdiction or takings um, case law is difficult sometimes to put your arms around. Even the courts say, throw up their hands at the end and say there's no set formula for determining it. But one that thing sort of is seems like a fact-intensive inquiry then that needs to go back to the trial court. Once you get to a determination that a takings claim is justiciable, and that's the issue in this case, there is no dispute 
um, that I think the law set forth in Lucas that there has to be a pre-existing right well, of uh, is the problem good. with Lucas is it's under the federal constitution. What about the fact that the Minnesota constitution provides expanded protection for takings? There is no case that exists that says the Minnesota constitution does not require the existence of a pre-existing right as a condition precedent to a taking claim. In this particular case, I would boil down the threshold question that is before this court in this fashion. Can a right to mine be taken when one has no right to mine by reference to pre-existing rights? Now, pre you know, if you cut through all the, uh, you know, the verbiage and word salad about rights and so forth here, here's what my concern is. My concern is that a governmental unit can adopt zoning regulations um, and then point to those zoning The argument becomes almost circular that you're just not permitted to use your property because the government says you're not permitted to use your property. And that seems to me what's happening here. Why am I wrong about yeah, that? Actually, that's not what is happening here, Your Honor, and that's the situation in Wensman. What uh, the court said, the U.S. Supreme Court said in Lucas, and as appellant concedes in its own brief, both at the Court of Appeals and this level, there must be a pre-existing right to engage in the activity. That pre-existing right is determined by reference to background principles of existing state law relating to property and nuisance. Okay, let me now, drill down on that though, because um, sure. why can't a municipality just say, every development is subject to a conditional use permit. You need the permission from the city to do anything with your property. And I would argue that some zoning ordinances come very close to that. If that's true, then aren't we where I, what were, aren't we where I suggested we, we were a few minutes ago? Um, that's a taking. You can't use your property because the government says you can. I think the distinction, Your Honor, and I think Judge, uh, Justice Gildee, I think you authored Wensman, as I recall. And, and what you're focused on is the analysis in Wensman. And that is a holding, and this case is different from Wensman, that is a holding that prevents government, for the very reason you're talking about, from adopting a regulation and then saying ultimately that that regulation becomes part of the background of existing state law and thwarting any particular taking claim. That, that is not what we're talking about, what's most important in this case. What's most important in this case is that the background principles of property law um, include, as we've discussed in our materials, and unfortunately, the Court of Appeals didn't address this issue. I think it's the strongest issue as it exists in the taking case, and that is the fact that this project was required by an EQB order to undertake a mandatory environmental impact statement. By operation of law 116D.04, the state legislature has said there can be no project Nothing is allowed to happen on that property until that process is completed. It freezes everything. That order was adopted in March of 2013, well the before the ordinance where amendment. Where in the Constitution of the state of Minnesota does it say that the uh, government can require an EQB analysis before you can use your property? I mean, I, it, I think well, that's a larger issue, Your Honor, of the, the constitutionality of the legislation that says that's the result, and that's not the issue before this court, I would respectfully say. But so, it is a pretty amazingly slippery slope. 
in in what well, sense, Ron? The flip side of that argument that you can't ever pass any regulations that would protect health and safety. I mean, that seems to be the, the where Justice Anderson's argument goes, right? That a county couldn't. I, I'm not sure I'm following you. That the state or the county could never pass any regulation that protects health and safety. Well, certainly that would be like problematic. That would be very problematic. So, Council, um, is the right to seek a conditional use permit itself a property right? The short answer to that is no under existing case law. Existing case law makes clear that the expectation or hope or desire or the right to apply for a discretionary permit is not a property interest itself. In which case law is that? We cite that in our materials, and I don't have that um, handy, but there are there is more than one case. I believe Continental Properties is one of the case, which itself cites a series of other cases. There are a handful of cases, actually, that's, that state that proposition. So on the level of existing property rights, the, the EIS is a complete impediment um, to their getting a um, permit. They didn't have a right to mine by operation of 116 D04. Um, in 2013, upon adoption of that order, 2014, 2015, 2016, at the time that the OA ordinance amendment uh, provisions were adopted, as we stand here today, they have no right to mine. And Does what's interesting that, that there's a lease um, matter at all to your analysis? I mean, would you be making the same argument for um, the person who owns this land? Um, well, obviously, if I represented the owner, I probably would be making a different argument. Um, but I think the result is the same. And I think in terms of just addressing, Your Honor, as you, you raise the leases, so in terms of the pre-existing uh, property right to engage in activity, you have the EIS, which is the largest impediment. You have the conditional use permit as a discretionary permit that is not a matter of right. And the, the Court of Appeals chose to focus more on the issue of the leases, which in my judgment is the more difficult conceptually of the three. Um, but I think it bootstraps into um, the issue of the pre-existing right, because what's important factually is that that the leases were for a five-year period and were renewed. They were initially um, undertaken by an individual, uh, Mr. Frick, and he assigned those to Minnesota Sands, and Minnesota Sands entered new agreements in the form of um, re-upping uh, in 2015. Come so, even if, I, even if I grant... And I think the point has merit, the point that Justice uh, Thiessen made about environmental regulations and so forth. But we're not at that stage, right? I mean, we're here. Your argument here is they didn't get the conditional use permit. Uh, it's actually that they were prohibited from doing so by operation of law. They never had a right to mine under existing um, uh, case law. Lucas, yes, at a Supreme Court level, but no Minnesota case to the contrary. Um, they cannot have a taking claim where they had no right to engage in the activity that they because claim they is the basis. Uh, because state law pre prevented them from even applying for any land use permits, correct? So both. So state law prohibited them from applying because of the EQB thing? Well, they, I, I suppose, uh, they're different. So the EQB is going to say, well, where's your conditional use permit, right? I mean, isn't, are we back at no. land? No, no, the EQB wouldn't say that because an EIS order is in place 
And in fact, they never completed the EIS. They abandoned the process even before the ordinance amendment was adopted. But the EQB doesn't ask where is your permit because the pending EQB order prevents that process from occurring. Is the, is the bottom line, I mean, is your position that it just wasn't guaranteed that they'd be able to get the, the permit or is it something different than that? That no right best until it, that you've kind of completed all the steps. They didn't even have a right to go through the permit process to determine if they got a permit. So it's a multi-tiered problem. So you have an EIS order that says you can't even engage in a land use process until you complete this detailed EIS process, which is a multi-year process that costs many hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they bought something that was worthless. Um, they speculated, and as Mr. Frick indicated in his affidavits when they entered the leases, they hoped they would be able to mine. And those are his exact words in the district court affidavits. We hoped we would be able to extract materials. We assumed we would have an opportunity to extract materials. Business people make calculated judgments uh, all the time, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what this was in this so case, yes. So they say hope is not a plan. Your argument is hope is not a property right. Hopes and expectations and dreams are not property rights, especially where you have state laws, statutes, and case laws that says you do not have a property right. Just, that is a threshold question. Can you just clarify, just, just walk that. So the EIS, when, when, when was the EIS, this? Uh, 2013. That requirement was put in 2013, okay. So the, Mr. Frick entered some of the leases in 2011, and I think even one or more in 2012. Well, that was where my question was. Yep, Mr. Frick assigned them to Minnesota Sands, their five-year term. Minnesota Sands then uh, enters new leases with the underlying property owners in 2015 after the EIS order says you can't mine here. That's actually the property interest that we're talking about today. Minnesota Sands is the party, Minnesota Sands interest, Minnesota Sands 2015 leases, when all these, the die was cast for all these circumstances that precluded. Um, Council, help me with the uh, record. Does it does it matter why? My my understanding is that they had at one point had started that EIS process and then they they stopped and I don't remember why. And and do you can you tell me that? And does it matter why they stopped? It doesn't matter why they stopped. And to be honest, I cannot stand here because I was not in their head and I can't I'll say what the circumstances you. were. Uh, but the important point is they abandoned it. They stopped. The EQB closed the file. The order remains in place today. It's Council, never been going done. Going to the uh, Commerce Clause, your client made a record about pollution and cars and trucks uh, bothering people and dust and so on. Let's say it had been somewhat more straightforward and said, we're opposed to, to climate change. If you frack, that is, we're making us an accomplice to climate change. We're banning frack sand mining to help the climate change effort. Would that violate the, the, the Commerce Clause? I don't know that that would, Your Honor. I think you're getting closer to, uh, though, to uh, Justice Chudich's, uh comment about Hunt and the purposefulness of discrimination. Um, I think if, uh, if it was a philosophical opposition to the practice of fracking in this particular case, may, maybe that's a closer circumstance, but um, the, the underlying environmental motivation for the ordinance, in my judgment, is not relevant to the fundamental Commerce Clause analysis, which is, 
do these regulations discriminate against interstate commerce? Do they burden interstate commerce to the benefit of in-state commerce? And with that segue, if I could address the Commerce Clause uh, issues as well, because I think there were questions that, um, that justices had. Um, again, I try to simplify, in my mind, a complex area of law on the Commerce Clause. But simply, in this case, the question is, looking at the regulations, do they create a competitive advantage for in-state interests to the detriment of outstate interest. Now keep in mind, this is a facial challenge. Mr. Dolan used the word in effect a couple times. The dissent said, well, Mr. Dolan argued at oral argument in effect or stated another way in application. Therefore, it's fair game. I disagree with that. These are, if you look at the complaint, if you look at the briefing, it's a facial challenge. So with that backdrop, looking at the ordinance provisions, first, the ordinance as the court has noted, bans industrial mining and defines industrial mining and defines industrial minerals. It does so neutrally. It does so to the detriment of Minnesota mining companies like Minnesota Sands. It does so to the detriment of outstate mining companies if they wish to operate. Council, let's talk about the, land, the landfill cases. Uh, Philadelphia, Port Pretoria, however that's pronounced. Um, those cases seem to, I mean, the facts of this case seem to be similar to those cases. And I'm just wondering, they seem to suggest that um, there is a Commerce Clause problem here. Tell me why, tell me why I'm wrong. In those, uh, the landfill cases I would characterize as flow control cases. And the land, landfill cases always direct themselves at the interstate movement of the product, in that case, garbage, or of commerce, in that case, garbage. This ordinance provision is not directed at that. So that distinguishes it from those line of cases. It also distinguishes it from the principal case relied on by Minnesota Sands, and that's the Hughes v. Oklahoma case, where the Oklahoma statute, which dealt with minnows instead of sand, um, had differing regulations that impacted interstate and interstate commerce commerce differently. On its face, the Oklahoma ordinance provision indicated locals could harvest minnows, they could sell minnows to their heart's desire. Out of state interest, they could harvest minnows, but you can't cross the state line with those minnows. That's not the issue that we have here. What we have here in the industrial provisions well, Could someone is, in state harvest minnows and export them out? Could it? They couldn't be exported at all. So I mean, yeah. in that sense, there is some similarity. Well, yeah, yeah, but different in the sense that it's not a simple ban on the harvest. The, the analogy to our case would be if they banned the harvesting of minnows in Oklahoma. That would be the an analogous fact situation. So, so you look at those, those uh, landfill cases, and you know, I guess maybe I'm oversimplifying this. You can tell me if I am. Um, I'm sure you will. Uh, if it's unconstitutional. I would not dare do that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> if it's unconstitutional to limit out-of-state waste, but not in-state waste, I mean, what I hear them arguing is that you're making a distinction between export and import, in, and that's exactly what happened in those waste cases, yeah. right or wrong? Uh, not wrong and not supported. Uh, I said I wouldn't do that, but I did, <laughs> so a, I, I apologize. I respectfully say I'm wrong, Your Honor. Uh, uh, 
but uh, different factually from those particular cases. And this goes to some of the questions the court had earlier, um, and that, that is the quality of the, the prohibition. So I've, I mentioned it applies equally to the mining uh, of uh, industrial materials. It also applies equally to the end users or uh, end product uh, of what would be industrial mining if it was permitted in Winona County. And the record does have references to that. Um, it, uh, the uh, county's administrative record, which is part of the court record, um, it's labeled or marked WC. It's uh, page 787, um, WC 1310. I would even port, point the court to the ready mix amicus brief at page four which probably makes a better argument than I could about the fact that Minnesota end users are equally disadvantaged by the industrial mining provisions. But in Minnesota... What percentage of the industrial sand market is Minnesota as opposed to the frackers who are all out of state? Um, I would say 100% because there is no Minnesota silica sand that is used for fracking and is exported out state. There are very few permitted silica sand mines in Minnesota. There's the Jordan in Blue Earth. There's Unimin in up along 169. I think they're in Lesseur County. Um, so there are very few um, that exist. So I'm only speculating, Your Honor. There is nothing in the record that did an analysis. I won't speculate. But given those facts, they lead me to believe that uh, it actually is the local uses that would be disadvantaged. But there is, is uh, information in the record that was looked at. Cambria countertops uh, is a significant user of silica sand. Um, glass making operations throughout the state. There's discussion of a Faribault uh, company that does glass, but every glass making operation in the state uses silica sand. Um, there are foundries that's used in abrasives. It's used in shingles. It's used in golf courses. Of course, we in Minnesota have too many golf courses. They say that's why they're closing. So would this reduce the number of sand traps for Justice Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> um, if that would have an impact on the decision, absolutely. Can I, can I just ask you about the relevance of the exception for um, local, for sand use for local construction yeah. purposes? I, up to this point, I'm, I'm focusing on a Commerce Clause analysis. I think you have to look at it a number of different ways. So to this point, I've focused just on the industrial provisions. To be honest, that's the provision that Minnesota Sands is attacking because that's what they do. But from a Commerce Clause standpoint, you also then have to look at um, what they urge is that you look at the ordinance as a whole and look at the interplay between the construction sand provisions and this. And because they use the word local, it's violative of the Commerce Clause. That's where the different markets uh, issue comes in. Minnesota Sands concedes in their materials, uh, in their briefs, both at the Court of Appeals, this court, and I think at the District Court as well, that the local construction sand market is a different market. Can I ask you then about this different yes. market? So, so, so wait a minute, just to finish up my question. So you would say it's not relevant at all? The exception for local construction. Correct. It's, it's not relevant It's at all. not relevant. Minnesota Sands said at the district court, uh, again, the Mr. Uh, Mr. Frick's affidavit, construction sand is different. We, I'm paraphrasing it to be fair, 
Um, we are interested in industrial sand mining. That's a local market. The local market doesn't work um, for us. They've also made the arguments at page 12 of their brief. They make the same statement. They even actually refer to the different local market for construction sand. So it's just an entirely different product, you would say. It's apples and oranges. And, Your Honor, the Commerce Clause analysis so mandates... this ordinance prohibits everybody from taking apples, but it lets you take oranges, so therefore correct. there's no Commerce Clause violation. That's the essence of the different market theory. In a Commerce Clause analysis, there must be different, differing treatment in a single market. On that argument, is the language of the ordinance at all relevant? I mean, the definition sort of suggests that industrial mining and const uh, could include construction minerals, that industrial minerals could include construction minerals, because it specifically says the term construction minerals does not include industrial min minerals. In other words, it's not clear to me that we are talking about apples versus oranges, as opposed to one kind of apple and another kind of apple. That's why they had to write the exception in there. Yeah, the, um, I think the record bears out the fact, um, and, and looking beyond the terms of the ordinance, the record bears out the fact that you are talking about apples and oranges, not different uh, hybrids of apples. Industrial operations are completely different. We've got citations in our brief about how they differ in terms of the nature of the activity, blasting, large withdrawals of groundwater, use of chemical flocculants to treat uh, the properties. And by the way, Minnesota Sands talked to you about, well, what do we intend to do? Well, maybe now we don't intend does, to do that. Does it matter? That right, does that it matter? It doesn't matter. Why? Because this is an ordinance amendment that the county adopted considering the typical industrial sand mine. They, they have, didn't have a they didn't have they an, have adopted an ordinance that was different than that that actually focused on the process as opposed to the I mean it, it, that looked at the the dangers in the process and just regulated those things. And sure, the county looked at all the regulatory options in detail. Apply, Could they Does that apply I mean at Penn Central level? No, it does uh, it does not. It would apply not Penn Central, excuse me. No. Yeah. It, it would apply it would be an inquiry for this court under the Commerce Clause analysis if they had raised the Pike issue, Pike, yeah. um, and they did not raise the Pike issue. That's not an issue for this court. Think quickly because yes. we're close. So Correct. under the GM case, the the issue was the non-regulated utilities sell to GM. I think it's GM General Motors, right? Correct. Yeah. And not to residential people. And the problem there, what the court said there was this isn't a commerce issue because even if you got rid of this higher tax on the non-residential uses, these independent operators wouldn't sell to residential customers anyway. But here, the obstacle is the industrial ban. And if they did pass, the, if they got rid of the industrial ban, they would go ahead and compete in the market. So I, the, the analogy doesn't make sense to me. I think the better analogy is the Arctic Made case, Your Honor. I think GM's a little bit more difficult, but in Arctic Made, I think we're on all fours, and this is an opportunity. Can I finish yes, my? Yes, please finish your answer. Okay, yes, this this is a, an opportunity for there to be case law at a state level uh, developed on this issue. But Arctic Made is the one that's most on point because you had it's similar because you had the same. Um, uh, product, natural product in Arctic made salmon being taken by interstate and interstate interests. 
you had different processing of that particular natural resource. One processed for interstate use, one processed for intrastate use. Um, and the US Supreme Court um, indicated that that makes them apples and oranges, to use our earlier analogy. And that's exactly what we have here that's conceded by Minnesota Sands. They argue that the um, different markets case law is tax-based case law. It doesn't apply. Nothing in those cases um, says that. And in fact, the most recent federal level See, case. I, can I just, sure. one more question. So on the Arctic made the, what, at the end of the day, what they were saying is they actually weren't two different markets. They were the same, but they were taxed the same. And that's why there wasn't a violation of the commerce uh, laws. The, uh, I, right? I, I understand that Minnesota Sands said that they were taxed the same, but I don't think that's well, true. I think the case said that. Uh, I, I think in the dissent, they make the distinction that ultimately interstate markets were taxed at quadruple uh, of the rate, as I recall. Thank um, you, I, counsel. Thank you. Mr. Dolan, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. So, Mr. Dolan, is the EIS fatal to your uh, failure to get an EIS fatal to your takings claim? And if not, why not? Uh, your Honor, the answer to that is no. And the reason is, and I think you have to apply the uh, analysis in Wentzman. It's very similar. Now, in that case, uh, the court found, and it was a much more, so here the, the, the regulatory uh, 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 tasks that Minnesota Sands has to go through are two. They need to get a CUP and they need a finished environmental review, which you know may not be an EIS. We would argue, as a matter of fact, it could be an EAW, but that's a, a separate argument. Um, those things, there are clear paths to do both of those things available to Minnesota Sands. In Wentzman Realty, they were seeking a complete zoning change uh, from the city. And what the court said there in doing their analysis was that although the court found that the proponent's knowledge of the restrictions, the restrictions being the fact that their property wasn't zoned for what they wanted to do. Although the uh, uh, proponent knew of those restrictions, um, that those were relevant to the determination of reasonableness of expectations, but, quote, does not automatically defeat a taking claim. So the point is, it's relevant. It's part of the analysis of reasonable expectations. But the fact that there are uh, conditions or, or tasks or steps from a regulatory perspective that the proponent would want to do doesn't prevent the ability to do a takings analysis. And let's think for a second of what the reality would be if that was, if that was the law. It would provide, provide for a, a path for any government entity to create sort of a slow roll, a two-step process to prevent any takings. First, they could establish a reasonable conditional use permit process that wouldn't be a taking because it was a reasonable you know, restriction on, on use of property. And then a next step, create a complete ban and argue that a project proponent uh, didn't have some sort of property interest uh, because it, it never got the, the CUP. It would provide a pathway to prevent any takings uh, from a regulatory standpoint. How important in Wentzman is the fact that the court, I think also, and I don't want to speak anyway, I wasn't here, but that the court said, uh, you know, the real issue is that the golf course is worthless now. I mean, isn't, doesn't that change the analysis from this case? Or, or there's a fact issue about that. I think so, Your Honor. It's a fact issue, and I think that that would be relevant to that analysis of applying the Penn Central factors. Um, I think that that would be relevant in that sense. But it, would, it wouldn't prevent or, or, or uh, be a, a condition precedent to whether you have a, a takings claim at all to prevent even doing the analysis. I, I would point to one thing to, uh, to the court. Uh, counsel had uh, mentioned that uh, uh, Minnesota Sands, what they're doing is speculation. 
they're speculating on what they can or can't do. But, but Wentzman addressed that specifically and held in the case, um, I believe it's at page 637 of the opinion, that you can look at a speculative value. You can speculate uh, uh, as part of the analysis of reasonable expectations um, and that that is something that the court should do as part of the analysis. The fact that Minnesota Sands has to do some amount of speculation in its argument doesn't prevent the claim from even being analyzed under Penn Central. Well, and in this case, we know that it's possible to uh, mine silica sand because it's already being done. Correct, Your Honor. The, the Nisbet mine went through the full permitting process. And argue, when you're looking at what were the expectations of Minnesota Sands, you have to look at what the expectations were in 2011 when it, it first obtained these leases, um, or, or Rick Frick first obtained these leases that were transferred to Minnesota Sands. Um, at that time, there was a CUP requirement, but it was very, very basic and vague. Um, in 2011, a number of mining companies put forward conditional use permit applications. And this, do you agree that you would have had to go through the EIS before getting to the conditional permit use? I believe Minnesota Sands would have had to gone through some environmental review process. Uh, there is case law, and I'm forgetting the case name, but that was before, I believe, the Court of Appeals, where uh, an applicant uh, wanted to pursue uh, uh, the, the less uh, restrictive um, environmental assessment worksheet instead of a full EIS. And uh, the county was on board with that, and it was, it was determined that they could do that. So I think that some level of, of environmental review would needed to have been done. I don't think it. I wouldn't... Uh, uh, suggest it would have to be a full EIS. Council, would you agree that in this court, your client is not making a claim under Pike versus Bruce Church? In other, in other words, the balancing test between the burden on interstate commerce and the local interests. Um, your Honor, we, we decided not to focus on that. I think we, we reserved the right to argue that. We, it was in some of our briefing. Um, but well, we're, not, we're, not, we're not focusing on that in this appeal. Well, you didn't cite the, case, the, the key case, Pike versus Bruce Church, in your principal brief. You didn't even put in the table of contents of your reply brief. You just said in your reply brief the Court of Appeals uh, improperly said you'd waived or forfeited it. So are you, are you or are you not making the argument under Pike versus Bruce Church? I think the answer is probably no, Your Honor. I think okay. we, we don't have the record to, to make that argument. I do want to clear one thing in the record. I think it's very important. Council had said that uh, Minnesota Sands hadn't reserved the ability to make a uh, in effect argument. Uh, under uh, uh, Commerce Clause. But I want to point this court to where Minnesota Sands did reserve this. If you look at page 10 of uh, Minnesota's uh, Court of Appeals brief, its primary brief, uh, it clearly is making an argument of uh, that the Commerce Clause, uh, the violation of the Commerce Clause is because of the ordinance uh, in effect, how it's applied in effect. And, and I would argue as a broader point, uh, this whole case uh, from day one has been about this uh, unique, I'll call it unique, amendment, and how it was drafted, very different from other counties, um, and the effect that that has on the ability of Minnesota Sands and other interested parties uh, to engage in interstate commerce. To, um, the different markets argument. I wonder if you could take a minute or two to address that. Uh, sure, Your Honor. So on the different markets argument, um, I, I don't think, as counsel suggested, that Minnesota Sands has uh, uh, admitted that there are different markets. Now, I think what... Uh, a council is referring to is a statement in an affidavit by Rick Frick, where he basically said that uh, Minnesota Sands uh, doesn't intend to pursue uh, uh, mining for uh, what the county uh, terms commercial. Uh, 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 sorry, I misspoke there. Uh, construction minerals, 
Um, and to the extent there are mar different markets, so we don't contest that there, we don't argue that there are, but it's an artificial creation. Um, the county has created this very, very cheap market uh, because it's the only use for, for silica sand for construction minerals uh, because no party can engage uh, in the industrial uh, minerals uh, sales. The analogy of apples to oranges is interesting. I think the better analogy is apples used for pie versus apples used for applesauce. It's the same apples. Uh, it's just that the ultimate use of the product is different. And the record here is clear, uh, and the county has even admitted in a number of different situations that the mining process uh, for the sand, and the sand itself that goes into either animal bedding or would be used as a prop in, in uh, fracturing is the exact same sand. Yeah, but if they're not different markets, doesn't that blow up your takings claim? Because then you've still got a use. You can, you can mine for construction minerals. Well, Your Honor, part of, part of the same market, you're just just going to a, a different submarket. Well, yeah, I think that there there may be. We would argue in the first instance that our leases don't allow us to do that. But but uh, the more important argument is that um, because of the artificially low market price, that there's still there's still a takings of of, of the value of the minerals that Minnesota Sands holds. Your lease doesn't allow you to um, mine sand for construction? Uh, it's a question of material fact. The way that we interpret those leases is that they have to be done for economic value. And in fact, the royalties would make what, it what, what impra impractical. I don't have it in front of me, Your Honor. I don't have a copy of the lease. But I would say even absent, even if you disagreed with the interpretation of what we could or couldn't mine for, the, the reality of the royalties make it impractical. Um, if we can only mine for uh, construction minerals and the price of those construction minerals are so low because of the artificial uh, pricing because of this what about regulatory. What the mine? How are they doing it? Um, they, that's an interesting question. I, I don't quite know what their relationship is. If they're, if they're a lessor, lessee relationship, they may not have the same royalty requirements and uh, their investments may be different. Uh, they're able to make it work um, for whatever reason. Uh, Minnesota Sands, just given the current uh, environment, uh, can't make it work. And also, the market is just much smaller um, for this local construction sand. Uh, but think about it this way. So what distinguishes Arctic Made and General Motors is first and foremost that those weren't complete bans, in effect. They were uh, regulation, primarily tax regulation, um, that you know, arguably created some difference for the various products, but it wasn't a, a complete ban on the export. Such a ban is a, clearly a violation of the Commerce Clause. I asked opposing counsel about the um, waste management cases, the landfill cases. Um, you should have an opportunity to respond to that as well. What's your view on that? Are those cases helpful or harmful, and for what reason? Well, I think they're helpful, Your Honor, because they make very clear that, uh, I mean, it's sort of the opposite situation, right? You have a, a, a government entity preventing the import versus the export, but it does the same thing. It creates um, this beneficial uh, uh, market for the local environment. They're also important in this regard, that in those cases, the government entities that put forward those uh, import bans had a very good rationale. They wanted to protect the environment of the region, the scope and size of these uh, waste facilities. Um, but what the court there said is, even if you have a legitimate rationale for an ordinance that doesn't justify the violation of the Commerce Clause, especially when here, there are very reasonable and easy regulatory ways to address the county's concerns without violating the Commerce Clause. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Thanks to all counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this matter. Uh, this case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course.
Uh, the formal part of our session now is uh, concluded, but the court is going to stay out here for just a few minutes with the students and uh, take some questions. Um, but before we do that, uh, I would just ask everybody in attendance to please uh, join the court in thanking the attorneys for coming on this roadshow with us. Thank you, Council.